0: Hey gang, it's Harold, and here's another podcast. I'm going to use this forum to share my thoughts about the games I play and the people I meet. We'll experiment with a few things and work to find some interesting content. I look forward to your thoughts, comments, and ideas. This podcast is singularly composed of an interview with Ananda Gupta, the co-designer of Twilight Struggle and the much-anticipated Imperial Struggle. We'll talk about what we can expect from Imperial Struggle. Thanks for listening and I look forward to your feedback.
1: The cops are
0: Ananda Gupta and Jason Matthews are designing together again following their classic work, Twilight Struggle. Their current project is Imperial Struggle. Imperial Struggle, published by GMT Games, is currently on the P500 pre-order system with over 2,400 pre-orders. Players are expecting great things from the fathers of Twilight Struggle. We have been playtesting the game here in San Diego and it's been great fun. The game is rich with challenges as it provides a wealth of options for players to consider. Imperial Struggle shares naming structure and parents with Twilight Struggle. Similarities beyond that are limited. The game covers the competitive rivalry between France and England during the 18th century. The game includes peacetime competition as well as wartime competition, with the players positioning for advantage across four regions Europe, North America, India and the Caribbean are all in play. Values for scoring vary over time and players must adjust to shifting priorities. Commodities and debt limits provide opportunities and hazards. Rather than a card-driven mechanism, the players contemplate a series of common investment tiles that provide each country with actions to execute toward their strategy. Cards play a lesser role in smaller numbers than Twilight Struggle. We will begin the interview with a question about Twilight Struggle players and their expectations for Imperial Struggle.
2: players, uh, certainly will have expectations, uh, some of which Imperial Struggle will fulfill, some of which it will subvert. Um, and I, I, do think that, uh, that we've made some decisions, uh, to, you know, in the, in the, through the lens of those expectations. Um, I think with Imperial Struggle, uh, the biggest, the biggest thing that we want to work, we want to work with, uh, as a, as an heir to Twilight Struggle is, is the epic scope, uh, the global feel, the, uh, the two playerness of it. Um, but also I think part of it is, is a, is a complexity bar, right? We wanted to create another two player game that was a, a very manageable time, particularly between experienced players and where you could, you could finish in an evening. And that, that by itself drove so much of the design decision making. Uh, you know, the, the biggest, the biggest, the biggest, Difficulty with Imperial Struggle the, the persistent challenge with Imperial Struggle has been how to How to make a game that that lasts twice as long as, as Twilight Struggle uh, in terms of, of how many years of history it covers but also covers four major wars which are, are real shooting wars involving lots of different nations not just France and Britain and which You know without without causing the players to have to learn how to play two different ga- two different games and so, I think the, our, our sort of our sort of r- constant preference, our constant drive, has been anything that that complicates the game into two into two different games is is, is sort of goes out the window no, no matter how much fun it sounds like. I um I remember there was a so right now in Imperial Struggle, the way the war system works is is every every two peace turns there's a war um, and. Uh, uh, and you've got you, you've got a, a display with a bunch of theaters on it. So the War of the Spanish Succession has the Central Europe Theater and the the Spain Theater and uh, the Queen Anne's War Theater for North America and so forth. And each player randomly draws a couple of chits from a basic pool. And those chits can be good or bad. They, they average out to good, but they can be bad. And. That's your sort of. That's your starting theater strength, and then you can boost it and 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 renew it with with by spending turns and resources up to what you think is is, is best and and what you think the size of the prize is.
0: And you and you do that uh, in a vacuum. Well, the the opposing player doesn't see your numbers, right?
2: Correct. Yeah. Uh, all all of it's secret. Um. So you, again, you know the average. You know the average value on any given chip, but you don't. Yeah, you don't know what what they pulled. Uh. The only thing you know is how many is how many extra chits they've put in or how many times they've they've re, they've uh, redrawn the basic ones and there was a system a long time ago that i was kicking around where uh it, it first of all it was dice driven right so um instead of instead of chits it was it, instead of chits so for, it, first it began with 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 dice instead of chits and i didn't like that because chits at least if you have a bad chit at least that one is pulled from the pool and so you can't have the the same bad result happen over and over um, which I think is kind of a, a blowout in, in a game like this, uh, with so you know with with relatively few turns. Um, and secondly, uh, the next evolution of that system came when there were three different kinds of chits. There were these troops chits, and these logistics chits, and these command chits. And you could kind of customize your army or you know your military capability with with these three different things. And they had different effects on one another, and they rolled different kinds of dice hits and they had different events and it was super cool. And it also made the war part of the game take too long and be too rulesy. And so we threw it out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it it actually reminds me a little bit of, of Twilight Struggle, very early Twilight struggle when we actually had expeditionary forces and force deployments that you could put in countries. Uh, and we just ripped all that out because it wasn't carrying its weight. Um, but I, I I will say that one thing one thing that working in digital games has kind of made me th- you know a, a way that working in digital games has made me think differently has been the best way to find out what elements of your game are a little bit lacking or could be better uh, is for players to tell you and you know obviously you make the game as as, as well as you possibly can but if if imperial Story ships and players come back with, boy, you know this this military system, it's it's pretty slick, but I'd love a little more detail, right? Then you know I can we can do an expansion pack, <laughs> right? Um, and 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 the players that the players that like the original will uh, will will stick with it, and and uh, the the players who want to command and logistics and troops chits or whatever whatever it ends up becoming, uh, will will like that too. Um,
0: but those are the those are the tough choices, right? I mean that. The, yeah. the level of detail and uh, which systems to leave in and out uh, are are things to hard, are, that are hard to change in the short term once it's published. Yeah, you, right?
2: you have to have a real clear idea of what you think the game's best identity is, right? And, and right. to me, it, to me, it's unambiguous. The the on this in, in this specific instance, which is uh, the best identity of the game is the one is the one that we're shipping with. Uh, now, some players, if, the, if if it looks like a critical mass of players disagree or feel like, well, yeah, you know, that was great uh, for the first, you know, however long of the game's lifetime, but now I want, I want something else to chew on. Um, that's, you know, that's fine. And we can, you know, that, that can, that can impel further development or, or whatever. But uh, so for another, another example is early versions of Imperial Struggle, uh, cover the Napoleonic Wars, right? They ended in 18, it ended in 1815 instead of 1789. And, uh, I just amputated <laughs> the, the last <laughs> quarter of the game, right? right. Because because the Napoleonic Wars and the the wars of the, of the Wars of the of the French Republic you know the earlier ones um, those were all just too much right it was that they the French Revolution the course of the French Revolution and the associating uh, coalition wars and then the rise of Napoleon and the Napoleonic Wars there have been games there have been whole games about each of those things right. and and having having Imperial struggles rule set uh, deal with those in a plausible way again kind of it, uh, raise the specter of of learning another game and you know every time no matter what i did to try to get the game to do napoleon and the french revolution justice uh it wasn't uh it, it just it just kind of blew blew up the rule set and that's another case where if players really love imperial struggle and they play it a lot and they they they, they make it part of their 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 regular hobby rotation. Um, that's something I would look at. And I would say, okay, well, now players, you know, have bitten off what I what, what they've originally gotten to chew. And so now maybe maybe it wants to be extended. Um, but it's definitely not something that I would really, I would feel comfortable at all dumping on players all as a whole package. It would feel very rickety.
0: Now, back to the scoring, you visited a, the scoring for uh, Wars, but there's also a systematic scoring for Peace as well, right? And, and it's... Uh, it's periodic. It's predictable, but at the same time, it's unpredictable because you randomly assign values to the regions uh, before the players score. And so, the, two turns ago, you may have allocated a lot of resource to North America or Europe, only to find that India has the the most import, will be the most important region uh, for this next time period, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's that's. Um... That's an attempt to to make sure that that a player who establishes a dominant position. Basically, I didn't want the gameplay of, "Hey, I just I, I decide that India, for example, is going to be the place I establish a dominant position, and I'm going to roll the dice," or rather, I'm you know there there is no there is no randomness about that, and it's going to guarantee me. Uh, a dominant position a fixed dominant position for for some you know for some period of time and my opponent is just playing permanent catch-up right i i think uh i I don't i just don't think that's fun for the opponent that that, that's not a fun play against and you know one one of the things that uh one of the things that the, the the sort of net the concept of net fun right so if you have if you have if you have a mechanic that is really fun for one player to execute but is even less, you know, is, is more negative fun than that for the, for the opponent to play against. I think, I think that means you have to junk junk that mechanic. Right. Right. And, and I think, um, there are some games that don't think hard enough about the, the play against, uh, experience. Uh, they, they think primarily of the play as experience. Um, I think that, uh, games like that, you know, good examples of the, of games like that are, are, are games that are sort of nothing but gotcha cards, right. Or nothing, but nothing, but take that. Um, where they kind of hope that everybody gets their sh- their chance to sort of dish out take that but i i never feel like that actually adds up i always i, f- I feel like that just ends up with a net negative for everyone <laughs> right. Uh, right and um and so uh yeah and so and so with with imperial struggle here um i, I wanted to make sure that it was as fun you know that th- there was always a chance of like okay well his dominant position that he's established in india I have there there's a chance given the turn of the of the scoring chits that oh that just matters a lot less next turn and therefore i don't see my future mapped out in front of me right my and 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 that future just looks like me trying to chip away at india and him trying to to keep it (laughs) to keep it the way it is right right? that 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 just leads to kind of predictable gameplay now it could be that india just flips again and it's it's important again and which and, and that's important too because otherwise the person who established the dominant position just feels like, well, that was pointless. Right. 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 That, you know, I, I spent a lot of resources establishing this great position and now, now it's just not mattering very much. There has to be a chance of that happening. Uh, but there also has to be a chance that, yeah, he gets paid. (laughs) Right. 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 Um, and so, and so I felt like the, 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 the scoring system, uh, the scoring system kind of gets there, right. It gets, it gets, it gets there in a reasonably simple way. Um, one of the, you know, Jason and I talked a lot about um, about establishing rules where players have more agency over which scoring chips go up, or in particular, the value of regions kind of depends on the uh, on, on the level of, of the total level of investment there. So regions are only really valuable Both players kind of spend a lot of resource there. And ultimately, aside from complexity concerns, and, and that, sorry, and that had a lot of appeal because because that feels historical for one thing, um, but. And, and and had a lot of appeal because it, it seemed it, it might have deepened the the decision making in the game, but ultimately I think we felt that that it it, it wasn't going to carry its weight, and it also was going to potentially lead to some fairly predictable game patterns for both the players, where it's like okay, well I see how this is going to go. This game's all going to be all about the Caribbean, um, and and the Caribbean's is going to be the, the valuable area, and um, and I, I just didn't think I, I didn't think. I, first of all, I thought the game is uh, brain burning enough as it is. It is, <laughs> uh, um, and that's something I worry about a lot, right? Like I, I worry that that the game is not sufficiently brain burning, and yet when I play test it, and when I when I talk to people, they they feel like it's definitely a brain burner, and so, um, and so, I'm really, I, I feel like we've got the the level of of of, of neuron burn. Where where it needs to be and if I if, if we add anything more then it's gonna to have to be later when people have kind of Gotten, you know understood the patterns in the game,
0: right? And, I, I, uh, I, think, uh, I, I think I think I don't complain about the brain burning I enjoy it uh, and, and so I don't use it in a derogatory sense I think I think it's good fun and it's interesting and 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 you know the the uh, Not only are you competing to be in the right position for the wars and the right position for the peace. But, but then there's the commodity element, right? And and so, in my mind, it's kind of a three-dimensional chess that you're playing against the board and against the opposing player. Uh, with, yeah. And not knowing, knowing when you're going to score, but not exactly knowing what the score is going to be in two or three
2: turns. Yeah, and I think, and, and if we get anything, if we get any comparisons to Twilight Struggle, uh, aside from the sort of, scope and 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 player count similarities that's what i would I, that's what i really hope players get that's that's what i hope the, the player value takes the form of is 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 that three-dimensional chess of i'm playing my opponent and the board uh and, and a few other things in and the cards i guess you know the, the event cards in a couple of of different ways um and the event cards are really the event cards in this game are really interesting too like the event cards in this game are are much less I don't want to say less important because they're incredibly important, but there are fewer of them for one thing. Um, You know, one thing that's interesting about this game is, is it covers twice the history, but it has half, it it has a third of the deck (laughs) of twilight struggle. And that's, that, that might strike uh, players uh, as, as a bit paradoxical. Um, but there are reasons for it. Um, because in, in this game, in this game, what I'm hoping the, the, the player identity in this game is very different from Twilight Struggle, right? In Twilight Struggle, you're in this constant crisis management mode where you're managing your hand and, and the permutations of, of your hand are, are, are crucial because that's what pr- produces the variety of puzzles, some of which, you know, sometimes when you pick up a Twilight Struggle hand, you're like, oh, boy, this is my turn. You know, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to unload this on him and, and, and I'm going to I'm going to put together a big lead. Right. And sometimes sometimes I think it, it feels more often for players. You pick up your hand and you go, God, what am I going to do with this? Right. This is <laughs> this is
0: this is, this is, this how, is how do I get it. out of this mess? Yes.
2: Right. Yeah. How do I solve this mess? And that's a very Cold War mentality. And and, and that's appropriate, but it would be inappropriate for this game. And what I what – I, what in Imperial Struggle, the mentality that we're going for is more of an opportunity-focused uh, uh, mentality where you look at your cards and you look at the board and you're like, wow, okay, here, here are the two you – know, there, are, there are two possible power moves that I can put together and here are the results that those power moves are going to generate for me. How do I maximize the impact of those, right? And that felt to me more historically important or more historically relevant you know, where the two monarchs are kind of looking at the world as their oyster, right? They're looking at the world as this, this huge globe of opportunities. And, you know, you, you know, as the, as, as, as Louis Fourteenth, right, you're, you're sitting there on your throne. And, and here, here's this, this parade of individuals coming before you saying, look, <laughs> your majesty, if you, uh, <laughs> if you give me a chest of gold, here's this great stuff I can do for you. Right. right. And you got to decide which ones you're going to, you're going to say yes to and which ones you're going to tell. Knowing you know, that you,
0: no, you have only so many chests of gold.
2: That's right. That's right. right. And 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 you have to you have to figure out like okay, which ones which 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 paths of these am I going to go down, you know? Uh, which of these guys am I going to fund? And um, that's kind of how I think of the uh, investment tiles, the uh, the tiles right. that you you draft every every round is is like is these guys showing up and you're like, "Okay, I choose you." Right? <laughs> because you're and you got to combo that with your cards and with your other abilities, right? The abilities you've gotten from your board position to sort of maximize your opportunities and that and I felt like A very large number of event cards uh, actually kind of distracted a little bit from that focus. Um, That said, um, it is a little bit of a cheat to say the deck is a third. Yeah, physically it's a third the size of the Twilight Struggle deck. But each card has two variants in, in the style of the coin games. Um or most of the cards have have two variants, one pro british, one pro, pro french in this in this in the style of the coin games. although unlike the coin games in Imperial struggle, your hand is hidden. Um, and and so I do think the events have more texture, more possible uh, different ways to influence the game uh, than than their their physical number might, might might imply.
0: Right. and it you know it'd be good just to make it clear for the listeners that the game is really, as you said, driven by those investment tiles. And then the cards can be played once you've selected an investment tile from a, from a common pool.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And some of the cards, some of the cards, it used to be all the cards, but some of the cards require you to have picked an investment tile of a particular type. Um, and, and so sometimes the comboing is forced upon you. Other times it's, it's just, well, I I need to pair this with the timing uh, of where we are in the round. Um, and or in the turn. And, and one of the things about imperial struggle, of course, is you, you actually, you know, you have very few actions, right? It's it's just four action rounds per turn. And uh, there's only six turns. <laughs> and so, right. yeah, you've, you know, you've got to, you've, you've got to keep keep an eye on that. And so every ounce of value that you can squeeze out of your events and out of those investment tiles is, is really crucial. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's why power moves in the game are so important. But I think, I think that, that plays very well to the era, right? The era of, of you know, the era concluding in Thunderclaps. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, it does, and it leads to some very interesting decisions. You have this common pool of, of chits. So which one am I going to select now? Which one am I going to select later? Which one is my opponent going to select and take away from me? And then which ones are influenced by my cards? And I don't want to waste my cards because it's a limited opportunity. And, and then what do I need to do on the map? So it, there's some very, very interesting choices just in the context of that mechanism.
2: Yeah, um, one of the most common questions that I that people ask me when I show the game at at conventions or in playtest sessions is is uh, this is supposed to be a card driven game, but why did so? Why did you separate the ops from the events? Right, all the card driven games separate the ops from the events. And I mean, obviously, uh, the coin games don't have ops, <laughs> so right. so they that, that's different, right? But um, But like, you know, all the sort of traditionally understood uh, card-driven games, you have that that really gnarly decision of, hey, do I play this for the ops or for the juicy event? And of course, typically the ones with the juiciest events have the highest ops. And so they have, you know, that's a very clever opportunity cost mechanism uh, devised by Mark Herman and Ted Racer in their, you know, in their earlier games, in their games in the late 90s. Um, And, uh, you know, and it was, it was, I don't remember whether it was Ted or Mark who came up with it first of, of, of merging. Maybe it was. Mark Simonich with uh, Hannibal Rome versus Carthage. Actually, now that I think of it, I'm not. I don't remember the order in which those games came out, but but basically the the sort of great triad of, of Hannibal Rome versus Carthage and For the People and Paths of Glory all merged the ops and the events into into onto a single card, and, and so you had to bite your nails as you thought about which you know which one you were going to use it for, mm-hmm. and and here yeah this is kind of moving you know what's old is new again and this is moving back to the to a to a certainly a variant but a, something closer to the original we the people where where the ops and the events are separate um, But unlike with the people you're not choosing between the two you're choosing how to combo them You're actually kind of creating your own ops card in a certain sense every round. I think that's kind of fun
0: Yeah, it's great. Now. Now there's one other mechanism That's in the game. That's important. I'd like you to speak to and that's the debt mechanism. There's a debt limit uh, you spend uh, resources uh, from time to time and then things can happen in the course of play certainly during war that can force you to spend money above your debt limit and pay a victory point penalty
2: yeah a game about this era and you know about sort of the ancien regime and about uh, and about and set in the 18th century the growth of modern banking and you know the, the the birth of modern banking and finance simply the game would not be complete without the monarchs being tempted to spend well past their budgets <laughs> <laughs> uh, to spend much more than is actually was and uh, and so because of the nature of the game that I talked about earlier, the, 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 the globe of opportunities and the comboing, uh, you know, the creation of these power moves and, and, and combinations, what I wanted was for the players to feel the same motivations that the monarchs did, which was, and I say monarchs, but of course in the case of Britain, I'm really talking about the, the collection of, 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 uh, the monarch and parliament. Um, uh, but the 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 rulers of these nations um they they needed that they always felt like, oh, you know, if we just spend a little more <laughs> right, right then then I can really carry this off. It will really be kind of in trend you'll really be able to secure a great position here, a dominant uh position and and so managing and so debt is debt your your capacity to take debt in the game is simply represented by wild action points action points that you can spend on any of the three different types diplomatic economic or military um uh and and so it's always sitting there as this temptation for you but you and and there's no there's no systemic penalty for the debt in the game right you don't actually there's there's no there's no debt phase at the end at the end of every round where you check to see if your debt is too high right because that's not how the monarchs thought no instead there's landmines lurking in the event deck that your opponent can spring on you (laughs) uh if 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 your debt is 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 too high relative to theirs and so that's and that that was the feel that was definitely the 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 correct feel i think is that is and and moreover this also lets you game it a little bit right like if you if you pick up a couple of those debt landmines right well now you know they're not going to be played on you right and that may affect how you spend. And I think that um, I think that has uh, that has some p- potential for some good uh, for for some good sort of Yomi style mind gaming, um, you know. Uh, just just as kind of a uh, as kind of a side uh, as as an additional consideration in in decision making. Um, I mentioned the three different uh, types of action points. Um, yeah, this, is, this in this game also there's not all ops are equal, right? This game has uh, this game has three different types of ops, uh, right. repre- Representing the three different. Sort of families of things you can do on the military, economic, and diplomatic sides, and uh, and I think that's also another nice touch, uh, that that allows players to kind of force themselves to pick priorities,
0: right. And each chit has uh, is, is dominated by one of those,
2: right. Uh, that's right. Yeah, each chit has a major action and a minor action, and the the major action gives you more points usually, and uh, and 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 minor actions have some more restricted, uh, are a little more restricted. I actually tried. Uh, a while ago versions of the game that didn't have the minor actions i wanted the players to feel like really constrained to one path um but ultimately that just did not give enough that did not lead to enough board change right it, the the board got static uh as right. yeah because I, I then when i took out the minor actions i then had to add more points onto the major actions and that just led to people having too much to do on any given round. Like going last was really, really powerful. <laughs> right. Uh, as you might expect, if there, if there are a lot more action points, uh, on, on, on the cards and so on. So,
0: yeah, it's, it's interesting. And then, and then of course, uh, debt and the debt limit is an additional mechanism that fits into that allocated, uh, number of actions per the chit or right. per the tile yeah, that yeah. allows you just to, to do more, right?
2: Yeah. You can spend yourself into a great power move if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 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 that you know, so it's really interesting to see different players' uh, reactions when the debt system is kind of explained to them, and, and then and shown as a, as a resource for them. Right, a lot of player, a lot of a lot of new players, new players will really often not use the debt at all. They will they will be paralyzed of by fear of what uh of what will happen to them if they incur debt. They think of debt as just this terrible thing, which is totally reasonable. <laughs> right. 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 Totally, especially for a new player who doesn't know the card counts and doesn't know how many of those landmines are in the deck or what their probability of the opponent drawing one at any given time is. Certainly comes-
0: prudent. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so then the next stage for players is now that they understand that a little bit, uh, then they see, oh gosh, you know, this debt, this debt pool that I have, I can use this to do all sorts of great stuff. Right. And, and then they mismanage it and, and they go, they go right off the rails. And only after, I think a fair amount of experience. Do players kind of start to play the debt? Uh, start to play the debt pool like a like a piano, right? Right. You know, taking it, tuning their card draws to a timing, timing the taking of debt uh, in a strategic way, and so forth. Right. Yeah. The, uh, the
0: that's the other thing that just pops into my head is you know that one of the challenges with large decks in games uh, like Twilight Struggle, one of the challenges is that that there's a there's a high dividend paid to players that have invested in a lot of games and understand the deck right so the smaller the deck uh, the faster that that dividend will be achieved uh, so fight through the Yeah
2: in that that's so that is that is um, yeah so I'm not going to lie that also plays a role in the smaller deck for for imperial struggle um, while I you know I wouldn't trade the the player value that people have gotten out of like the the value that players get out of that mastery curve in twilight struggle of learning the cards um, is, is, is really just, it's, 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 a wonderful, wonderful player value. Yes. But I feel, I feel like in this game, I wanted to see if we could generate that player value differently and right. not, and not have players, uh, who are playing against someone much more experienced, just feel like they are really at the bottom of a big hill just because they don't know the cards. Right. Um, right. Like, I'm OK. Like if 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 a new player and a really experienced player sit down and play together, I'm fine if the new player feels at a disadvantage because they don't know the rules as well or because maybe they feel like, well, the veteran player is just better at games than they are. Right. I'm fine with all that. And obviously, you know, with the experience of 12 circle, I'm even fine if it's because they don't know the cards. But I wanted to kind of smooth that edge out and see where we got.
0: Right. Right. Good. So you talked a little bit about well you mentioned twilight struggle in a couple of contexts right one one is uh, uh, you know thing rules get too cumbersome you pull something out and it becomes inelegant you don't want the inelegance but the and then you compared other mechanisms to twilight struggle I think to, in my mind the biggest challenge you have is that uh, twilight struggle may be the greatest game ever made and it's very elegant and it's uh, it's interesting and challenging in that you feel like you're in a punch counterpunch, uh, through the entire game. And, and so I, I just, I couldn't say enough good things about it, but I think that's going to be a curse for you and, and, and Jason, I haven't talked about Jason, but of course that's your co-designer was your co-designer for twilight struggle. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> you know, I, I hate to talk about it in the te- context of a curse, but, but following such a fantastic game, uh, that elegance, uh, not necessarily the mechanisms, but the elegance, I think, is going to be your challenge, right? And the, the elegance of this game has to stand up, or or will be tested continually intellectually by the players. So, so have you thought about that?
2: Yes, uh, I've definitely thought about it. It it, it has certain that has certainly been a contributing factor to why it has taken so long for us to do another game together. <laughs> Right. Jason, of course, has done other games since Twilight Struggle. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, Founding Fathers in 1960, and, uh, you know, he helped out uh, with, you know, Ted uh, uh 1989 uh, and so forth. Uh, he also did a really clever election game with Christian Leonard, um, the uh, the campaign manager one, uh, yes. which I think is is, is quite underrated uh, as a uh, as, as sort of a, a quick playing game. Uh, election a game about the 2008 election Um, so so Jason has definitely Jason has definitely uh, added to his over a lot Uh, so I think I probably stress about it more than Jason does (laughs) because this is this is my second board game only you know I've done I've I've done digital games uh, in you know in the interim uh, with XCOM uh, and XCOM enemy within and uh, with the Elder Scrolls online and so forth Um, you know I've worked on a lot of great digital titles uh, but this is my this is only my second this is only my 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 first reentry onto the table, right? Um. So yeah, I definitely worry about that, but I also would. I, I, the the way I get past worrying about that is, uh, and this is this is this this is something that has been really clarified for me since I started working at Riot Games, which is where I work now. Um, which is which is I just have to think about it in terms of player value, right? Like, like if the game is favorably or unfavorably care, uh, compared to twilight struggle in a variety of ways you know um that's that's fine I'm, I'm i'm really i mean i'm i'm overjoyed if people find the games that i work on worth talking about <laughs> and and if if people are getting value out of it and the more people play test it the more confident i'm getting uh that the more confident i feel that that there will be player value from from imperial struggle um that's that's really all I care about, right? I, I right. don't actually care anymore if people think it's not as good um, as Twilight Struggle or not as good in certain ways. I, I definitely think that in 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 some respects it is more elegant than Twilight Struggle. Uh, Twilight Struggle has, uh, for example, a number of of, of warts on it. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, there. Th- uh, you know, I, w- well, I would be happy Don't
0: tell to- me about them. I don't want to hear about them.
2: <laughs> no, no. You invited me onto this podcast, so <laughs> I will. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, for example, I would, I would love it if the, uh, the card FAQ on Twilight Struggle half the length, <laughs> right? right? Right, I I would, uh, I would love it if, if, if Jason and I had figured out a way to have uh, it not just always be the Soviet player going first every time. <laughs> uh, I would love it if, uh, if realignments played a more consistent role in the gameplay. You know, I, there, there are just a number of things about Twilight Struggle that I would love if they were better. But Can um, I take if, my fingers
0: if, out of my ears now?
2: <laughs> but if if i waited if i waited uh you know or if we had waited until twilight struggle had had fixed all those issues it might never have come out or it might not have come out at the right time you know right. it might not have come out uh at, at, a, at a great moment for it and um and so i you know i feel like imperial struggle is already overdue like i wish you know, there are parts of me that wish that uh that i had uh you know that, that, that we had been able to get it out years ago but Looking at it, I'm happy with it now, and I feel like uh, I, I feel like it's 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 just about ready to go, and, uh, and 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 you know, the 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 enemy of a game designer is is perfection, <laughs> right? Um, and and, and well, the,
0: perfection's the enemy of the good in general, right? But <laughs> Mo, uh, Mark Herman and Volko both told me at the end of Liberty or Death that you never you never really finish; you just publish it.
2: Right, right. It's never done. Right. It's it's never done. It's just shipped. Um, and like the thing and, and, you know, Mark Herman, of course, uh, w- one of the things I, I i mean, there are many things I admire about Mark Herman, um, uh, you know, his his incredibly broad uh, historical literacy, uh, as well as his incredibly deep knowledge on. On things like the pacific war and on uh the greeks uh you know the ancient greeks as well as others like i mean the guy the guy is both broad and deep you know people talk about uh, t-shaped people you know mark herman is a is a t-shape with four stems (laughs) right right um and uh and so something i just i I admire tremendously about mark herman is it's just how many games he's put in, in people's hands right right like he has put so much player value in people's hands, um, that, that I, I, I really, I really envy him that, um, or I, re- I really admire that about him. And, um, and you know, yeah, he, he understands, uh, you, you do a game, you, you, you get it as, as, as good as you think, and then you, you ship it.
0: <laughs> well, and, and as good as you think for him is pretty good. So that that's the tough standard. Now you're talking about the research. You, you, uh, confided in me that you have an interesting research associate that helps you do the research and helps you, uh, read oh, yeah. through the books I, and summarizes them.
2: My, my wife Solve has been wonderfully That's supportive. Great. So not, good. not not just in my design efforts, but actually in in providing value on the on on the, on the game design side with uh, with a lot of reading and a lot of event summaries. Uh, you know, her, she was the one who uh, she was the one who provided a sort of rundown on the first. She gave us a lot of depth on on the first round of events she's uh her reading suggested uh a, a really substantial uh set of additions to the event cards <laughs> and um yeah she's she's been fantastic um this uh this period really appeals to her too she's she's also uh she's also very engaged with with history and she reads a lot of history just for fun but um and, and for education because we, we homeschool our son and so uh we we need to keep keep the pot full but um but she uh uh she, I think she really likes the uh the the 18th and 19th centuries uh especially and so and so this was this was this was good for her
0: That's a that's a terrific terrific partnership Let me uh let me ask you a question about how your history in video games influences your designs and your perspective on uh player
2: player experience Well um I think I think there is less there's less carryover in the sort of nuts and bolts systems and mechanics design than people think there might be um in games of course depending on the type of game but in games you can get away with a lot of obfuscation um you know i was i was playing i, I was i spent a long time last year playing the game, uh, the blizzard game overwatch which is a sort of uh a team-based shooter with, you know, a lot of bright colors and really clever characters. Yeah, very hot. Yeah, and, um, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a really fun game. Um, but it has, uh, and so, you know, it's a shooter, right? You run around, you shoot people. Everybody has abilities that are fun. You know, everybody has kind of a movement ability that lets them do, move, move in a way that is unique to them and, 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 and secondary abilities and, and ultimate abilities and so forth. Um, but in that game, um, you have a health pool, Every hero has a health pool, and then every hero, and then some of the heroes have shields, and some of the heroes have armor. Now, those are represented a little differently in the UI, right? Uh, you know, the shields are this kind of blue, shimmery color, and the the armor is this gold color, and it shows up on your health bar. And when you when you get hit, it goes away, um, and you know, you kind of quickly figure out that oh, you know, if I don't get hit for a little while, my shields will come back, uh, and that's not true. of The armor, but there are characters that can kind of boost my armor, right? And so the armor comes back. And that's kind of all you. First of all, you you have to figure all that out. It doesn't really tell you that. Um, but it turns out that there's actually quite a lot of additional mechanical complexity in the difference between shields and armor and standard health. Um, and uh, in particular, armor is just really good against lots of little attacks, right? Like, so somebody you know, a character like Tracer who shoots double double guns and hits and hits. Uh, uh, you know, no individual shot of hers doesn't does very much damage, but she. Uh, Uh, she shoots really fast um and that's where her damage comes from uh like armor is much better against her than it is against uh than it is against someone who does uh big hits and um nowhere is that explained (laughs) (laughs) right nowhere is that explained players had to kind of figure that out using um using stopwatches and 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 slow-mo video and so forth um and there, there's a really great YouTube video about it, and a and a, and a uh, a riot colleague of mine gave a great presentation about it at work, um, where you know, the entire room was full of game designers, who all of whom have played Overwatch, and probably two thirds of these of, of a room of professional video game designers were like, oh wow, yeah, I never knew that. That's really interesting, right? <laughs> and and um, and so that's the kind of thing that you can get away with uh, in a in a video game, where. i i i I speculate that blizzard's designers were like yeah this is the best gameplay this is the healthiest gameplay players will players will figure it out and especially you know the most competitive the top five percent of players will will really figure it out right and they will and that that is part of the master curve in the game and um and i think uh uh obviously you just can't get away with that in 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 tabletop games because everything is player enforced (laughs) um right I think I think the way that digital game development has affected me personally the most has not been in terms of 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 systems mechanics like that. But it is it is instead um, it is instead the sort of development mentality about uh, meticulousness uh, in meticulousness in in, in sort of going through procedural rules, uh, the importance of feedback and how to process feedback, uh, you know. You do a play test and you get a whole bunch of feedback. Um, There's just a lot of there's just a lot of uh, different skills involved in figuring out which feedback to pay attention to and which not to. Um, And uh, then there's also uh, you know there's there's a there's uh, working in digital game design has certainly helped me figure out how to sort of isolate particular systems and and test them test them in particular Uh, and. Oh, what else? Uh, I think, um, working in digital game design also really helped me, at least it helps me personally come to the, idea, come to the, the realization that game design is really best done in pairs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, designers, designers really need sounding boards, um, and uh, I I don't know. I know there are people, there are game designers out there who who don't have sounding boards, who just solo design everything. Uh, I do not know how they do it and produce quality. Right, um, right. I, I have I have no idea. Um, working on XCOM with Jake Solomon, um, you know, I, it was clear that both of us benefited hugely from uh, having the other available as a as a design sounding board. Um, uh, obviously, with Twilight Struggle and Jason. Uh, but really every 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 good game that I've worked on, um, i've had I've had another designer to uh, to to bounce bounce ideas off of.
0: Interesting, interesting. Yeah, you know uh, one of the things I like to do, uh, and I'm working on that South China Sea game now and and uh, when I do a play test, I do it face to face with two people that don't know the game playing it, and I watch it and and live it with them. And uh, that communicates so much to me. Uh during Liberty or Death we did a series the best playtest for me were the series of Skype uh Skype slash vassal games that we arranged uh where I sat with the developer Mike Berticelli and, and we watched the entire entire well, we watched, you know, probably two campaigns, but uh that that gave me real feedback that I don't think uh, you can get through the playtest report. And and it probably is the best I can do for a surrogate for the uh For the partner
2: i I agree that watching watching other people play your game is um is invaluable uh because it will identify all sorts of pain points and confusion points that that are you know what we uh what my team at riot calls ear flicks right things things that um, are painful but that you you either stop noticing and therefore don't write down in your report right (laughs) right or um uh or or players will feel like, oh, well, that was a pain point, but it was just an ear flick. It's too minor to, to take notice of. I don't want to be. I don't want to seem like I'm nitpicking. Players have all sorts of motivations for not reporting ear flicks, and um, you need them to. You need to notice the ear flicks, right? Right. So that you can get rid of them. Right. You need
0: to. You need to feel them, and if you can be there with them, it's uh, the empathy's greater. I think.
2: Right. I think part of part of digital game development, given you know the budgets and the timelines and so forth, also is is. It, kept, it gets back to uh, throwing out things that, that that don't work like one of the ways in which something can work is that sorry one of the things one of the ways in which a system or a mechanic can fail to work is that it it makes you feel very clever right, right? but it's it's not actually worth it right and so designing designing for yourself as a designer uh, is a it is a trap because of course you're designing for yourself as a designer you picked the topic right you <laughs> you're doing this because you're interested in the topic and you love it and you want to, you know, you want, you want players to, to have a good experience, but that can easily veer off into, and I'm, you know, where a situation where you're putting something in because it has great personal resonance for you and it makes you feel really smart and innovative. Um, and the fact that it's, it's painful, (laughs) right? right. Or, or has what I was calling you know, earlier net negative fun. Right. Um, you're like, well, you know, I'll put those things in there. And, and it's, you know, it's like, uh, you know, when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons as a kid and and the DM is kind of running a campaign that is, is about his fun <laughs> and not the <laughs> player's fun. Right. Um, you know, where, 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 where people haven't, you know, young role players haven't quite understood that the game is sort of a collective endeavor. Right. Um, and uh, and that's yeah, that's that's one of the things that digital development, I think, really impresses on you is you, you, you there's there's just no time for that.
0: <laughs> right. Interesting. Yeah. You know, one of the things that gets me uh, between uh, digital and, and, and hard games is this issue related to uh, to quick play and rules writing. Uh, and, and, you know, I think there's a continuum of issues. The first is that we're we're happy to jump into a game. Right. XCOM. Uh, I buy the, I download it, I jump onto Steam and I start playing, even though I don't know any of the rules uh, or many, right? And, and, and I learn them as I go, uh, sometimes through trial and error, sometimes because there's a tutorial, but, but, but it happens very quickly. These, these hard games, right? The board games, we struggle all the time with, uh, with, with, do you write the rules in a narrative? Do you write them as a, uh, as, as a technical manual? Um, is there an alternative? Uh, for example, coin very much written as a technical manual. And I think it's right. they're excellent. It's an excellent rule set. I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a gold standard as far as technical manual rules, but is there another rule set in addition to that? That's a quick start guide. Um, and maybe that's the tutorials. Uh, and, and maybe it's even, you know, how do we use other media? to teach gameplay. Um, So, so that area is, is of interest to me because I labor all the time about what level of rules, how to write them, how best to teach the game and then how best to answer the questions through the technical manual.
2: Yeah. So I think, um, yes, that's obviously a place where the digital really has a leg up (laughs) Um, uh, because the designer can kind of reach out to you through the tutorial and, and, and and present you with things when you need to know them. Right. Um, uh, I think, I want to call out a couple of board games that I think have 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 really been standouts in that respect. Um, I think uh, I think Comancheria uh, by Joel Toppin. Uh, I think that one uh, is. I think that one is a fantastic tutorial. Um, mm-hmm. That's a pretty complicated game with a pretty complicated AI bot behavior. It's a solo game um, where you're playing as the Comanches, right? Uh, and and it the tutorial in that game I think is 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 really. For, for a game of that complexity, it really kind of drew me in. Um, I think uh, Compass Games uh, did a really good one with, um, uh, with Blitz. Uh, so that's the sort of super, super simple World in Flames um, by, I think, I think, the designer is Dave uh, LeLecher. And um, that one has this great set of, of sequential scenarios. You're supposed to play these scenarios in this order. Uh, and it really does a good job of exposing the mechanics piece mm. by piece, mm-hmm. and and I think um I think that one I think that one is 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 really is is very well executed, um and then I think uh I think decisions uh, Axis Empire series uh is is maybe not quite there um but the number of scenarios and the type of scenarios and the way that the 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 the, the documentation kind of tells you what the point, what the learning point of each scenario is, I think is, is very helpful. Um, you know, they, they, and of course access Empires is, is probably my favorite strategic level world war two game. Um, and you know, it, it's, it looks inaccessible because, uh, because of the cards, which, uh, uh you know, where there's so many different variants on how the cards can play, but also, uh, it's got a billion different little chits all that you know which have to be looked up for function right <laughs> right and um you know when you when you're deciding whether to play this card and this card says oh you get this chit and then you're like well what the hell does that chit do <laughs> and you have to look it up right like that's that's the you know why would i why do i want this chit right? right that's the that's the um uh you know that's where the 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 gnarliness of that game comes from but i think the the scenario presentations of that game are um uh Really kind of make that make that situation much more manageable Um, of course any strategic World War two game always has to overcome its players you know I think players of strategic World War II games um, all share a common bias which is that real men play the campaign game right (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) and and so um, and so you know uh, the documentation in in the axis empires games is really unambiguous that okay no look. (laughs) Look, really play the scenarios, right? Right, (laughs) Right. that's funny. Just please play the scenarios first. You'll thank us, you know. That's funny. Uh You know that
0: it's interesting. That's also a very thankless group for uh, for a game not playing along a historical path. So it's uh, it's interesting to see a few offerings recently that give you a bigger sandbox uh, where you might not even fight World War II. Uh, right. right. Well,
2: trium- yeah, Triumph and Tragedy. Yes. Certainly, um, I, I'm really looking forward to Cataclysm. Um, yes. And uh, uh, you know, I've, I've played Triumph and Tragedy. You know, I think four or five times now, maybe. Right. Um, and Triumph, Triumph and Tragedy, I think is uh, is a wonderful achievement. Um, but it also achieved uh, perhaps an unintentional goal of re- making me realize I don't like block games. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, uh, you know, which, which, <laughs> right, right. um, but, but I feel, I, I, I feel like nonetheless, uh, yeah, the experience I had with Triumph and Tragedy was, was really positive. Um, uh, even, even if it kind of clarified some, some stuff in my head, and, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, yeah it,
0: I, it drives how it drives, it drives home how much fun the sandbox can be if
2: you're willing to accept the sandbox, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I mean, um, digitally, of course, uh, Hearts of Iron, uh, Hearts of Iron 4, I think it's it's either three or four, whatever the, the new one is, um, right. the one that came out last year. Uh, you know, Hearts of Iron is a, an incredible sandbox game. Boy, talk about um, talk about a strategic World War Two nuts dream in terms of, you know, you want to micromanage all your factories <laughs> down to, you know, the food and the guns that they're making and um, the food
0: that the workers eat. Yes. So.
2: Yeah, God, that one—that one's really—that one's—that one's a—that one's, one's a tasty treat for anyone who wants to <laughs> to fight for everything. But it's also a huge. There's a lot of really weird historical outcomes. Uh, they're very sandboxy outcomes in that game. If you want, yes, uh, you know you can.
0: Right. Can, well, it's a, it's a preference, right? I guess it's just a player preference. Yeah. So uh, this is probably a good time to transition to the informal. But but I will tell you that you know we've been playtesting. Imperial struggle here in San Diego, and uh, it's for which been, I am eternally grateful. Well, I, I, you're very kind, but but the uh, we've had a blast. We've had a great time doing it, and uh, appreciate your thoughtful response to our not as thoughtful uh, commentary. So, uh, wow. thanks, and we look forward to continuing that as you uh, as you drive drive it home. And and I also mention Terry Leeds, who did the map for *Liberty or Death*, and and in my mind is the greatest map artist ever to live. Because he's a real artist, uh, is doing is working on your maps and they look fantastic so far. So
2: he, he has done a phenomenal job with the maps, and I'm looking forward to fully unleashing him by uh, sort of design locking the maps uh, for good uh, in the next you know very soon. And um, yeah, I, I can't. Yeah, I, I, I'm blown away by by his uh, uh, by the chunk of the map that he's already done, which you can you can see on uh, inside GMT. And I think. Maybe somebody put it on BoardGameGeek. I don't remember, but yeah, go to if you go to the Inside GMT blog, uh, you can see the, the map see, see a
0: snap. Yeah, I, I, I've I've looked at a few that are in the shared folder, and they're phenomenal. And uh, you know, he as uh, a favor to me, he worked with me on the uh, Strategy and Tactics 316, which we've been done. Which sounds almost biblical, but we've been done with for a long time. It comes out. <laughs> in the first quarter of uh, 2019, and he created a map that just will blow you away. And uh, in the context of strategy and tactics, I think it's going to be very well received. I hope Can the game's us- half as good as the map.
2: Can you tell us what the game is?
0: Yes. So it's uh, Campaigns of 1777. So ah, it's yeah. it's all the decisions uh, in North America that the British made. It comes out of an argument that I had with Mark Miklos once about uh, he, he was telling me about all these great things that happened uh, at Saratoga that made it such a great victory. And my argument to him was it, it was a wonderful victory and it's a great story, but it was fait accompli. Uh, Burgoyne only had a handful of days food. Um, his He was demoralized. Uh, and uh, Howe had made the decision instead of following up the Hudson and supporting Burgoyne, Howe decided to go to Philadelphia. So it, that battle, it, it was fate to complete. It was over before it started, and Burgoyne was going to have to surrender either way. Um, and wow. so, I, I I thought I'd put together a whole series of decisions where you can decide uh, if you're how, uh, where, and where and when you want to move, and if you're Burgoyne, how hard you want to press. And and you know there were a handful of errors that were made that you can fix, and we can see how it plays out. So that's the that's the thought. It's turned into a really good game, and of course, a fantastic map. Um, First quarter of uh, 2019. Thank you for asking.
2: Have you read For One of a Nail?
0: Uh, I have not.
2: Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, and you being a professor too. Yeah. So For One of a Nail is uh, is is a history book from an alternate universe where Burgoyne won at Saratoga.
0: Mm.
2: Um, and w- what's what's really fascinating about it aside, so it is it is it is as it is a it is it is written like an academic history book, complete with a huge slew of made up footnotes and made up sources like, like an actual, a fictional bibliography, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and as a history note, you're looking, I'm looking at this fictional bi- bibliography. I'm like, Oh, you know, this wouldn't it be cool if this book existed. But yeah, it's about, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's about the history of the, uh, uh, the, the, re- yes, the revolutionary, the, the, the turning points of the revolution when the, when the, when the, when the, when the, when the, re- when the rebellion was crushed right, <laughs> or right. the beginning, the beginning of the end for the revolution and the, uh, the subsequent developments on the North American continent, <laughs> So uh,
0: interesting, yeah, it, yeah. If Hal if how and Burgoyne had been working together uh, instead of inflating their own egos, uh, it could have been a very different outcome, and New England could have been cut off from the rest of the colonies potentially, and and uh, and who knows? But good news is it didn't happen, and here we are talking about games. Let me let me give you a couple more questions. Then, what about what have you been watching? TV, movies, otherwise, that's of interest.
2: So, um, with uh, so I watch a lot of TV with my son uh, Raj. Mm-hmm. Um, so lately, we wa- he's uh, about to turn fourteen. Great. So uh, together, we have been watching uh, the new Netflix season of a series of unfortunate events, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, uh, one of the things that Netflix has been doing is they have also been um, is that they have been, uh, uh, importing shows from other countries, um, that, that are, pr- that are pretty interesting. And one of them is called, uh, occupied, uh, and it is, it is a show, uh, it is a Norwegian show. Uh, so it's subtit it's mostly Norwegian subtitled, uh, although they do speak English, uh, and as you'll see Russian <laughs> because, um, the, the, the premise of the show is, is that it is the near future, um, and the the Arabian Peninsula is sort of seized by instability, and the U.S. has withdrawn from NATO. Uh, and against this backdrop, uh, a, 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 a green government comes to power in Norway, and pledges for uh, climate change uh, mitigation reasons uh, to cease Norway's uh, oil and gas production, hmm. uh, which then prompts a silk, a silk glove invasion, tacitly backed by the EU. Uh, from russia (laughs) and so the uh the first season is about the the russian arrival and uh you know the 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 dilemma the government is in you know norway is a population of you know six and a half million people it can't possibly win uh military resistance against russia without very powerful allies and the u.s is not interested at the moment (laughs) right and 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 the eu wants its oil and gas back (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, so that's a really interesting sort of geopolitical thriller show, which I found to be, uh, very, uh, very interesting. Um, and, uh, let's see. Uh, and then, um, in the sort of, uh, uh, and of course we're looking forward to the Lost in Space remake next, next week. Yes,
0: absolutely. <laughs>
2: um, and, uh, on the movie side, uh, my wife and I saw, um, Death of Stalin a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a, a really, you know, a historically inaccurate, but uh, but uh, but incredibly amusing and, and sort of spiritually accurate uh, depiction of, of of the end of Stalin and uh, and the beginning of, and and the sort of power struggle that followed. And you know, it's by the guy who who did in the thick of it and, and Veep. Uh, you know, a very uh, very sort of dark. Humor look at it, and it's it's very dark, right, <laughs> and it's right. it is it is very funny until it is not, <laughs> and, and that happens, and that happens a few times during the movie. Wow, that's <laughs> um, cool. you know, yeah. So
0: so what about uh, what about books? What are you reading uh, aside from seventeenth, uh, eighteenth century European history?
2: Well, um, so I, I have been reading a lot of that, uh, obviously, but I have um, y- your 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 listeners maybe shocked and um by 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 the admission i'm about to make which is that i've never actually read patrick o'brien's master and commander novels ah. <laughs> so i'm starting on those uh I'm, I'm about you know i'm almost done with the first one and uh it is it is glorious it is everything that it, everyone has said <laughs> about, right. about 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 why it's a classic and um and i think uh uh yeah, it's fantastic. I, I've also been I've also been reading a couple of true crime classics lately. Like I I, I just finished reading Helter Skelter, and I, I read Fatal Vision last year. Um, those are those are pretty interesting as you know as as, as works of recent history as it were. Um, and uh, and then on the fiction side, I, I'm still just reading a lot of well, so I mean, Master Commander's fiction, of course, but on the sort of on the sort of more fantastical side. Um, let's see, what have I been reading there? Um, Uh, let me check my, I got to check my history here. (laughs) Um, uh, I'm reading, uh, Brad Beaulieu's, uh, 12 Kings and Sherikai," which is, which is, which is an interesting book. Um, and, uh, Oh, I'm also, I'm also trying to get through gradually, uh, the power broker by, by, uh, uh, you know, the story of Robert Moses by Robert Caro. Um, uh, I will looking at this, um, I I just finished reading uh, a few a few weeks ago. I finished reading Arcadia by by Ian Paris, which is a Fantastic book designed for designed for electronic platforms, right? So you should read it on your iPhone on your iPad because of how it is because of how it works interesting Um, And uh, you know people who are intrigued by that should check it out for sure on the App Store Um, and uh, really interesting sort of science fiction Cold War and uh, And sort of utopian fiction all rolled into one very uh, very well well done and then um uh, i'm always trying to keep an eye out for whatever is new from kj parker who is uh one of my favorite uh fantasy writers uh and very underrated i think very few people have even heard of kj parker
0: but myself included but i will certainly look up kj parker now
2: yeah kj parker's stuff is is very well written and and um often very depressing but uh but but uh extremely well-crafted, I think. Right. Uh, and, and, and for, for people who like historical, you know, historical stuff, um, he, he doesn't write historical fiction, but he writes very historicized fiction, right? Like you can, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Byzantium and Rome and other stuff in his books that will, and, and, and Renaissance Italy. There's a lot of historical influences in his books.
0: So, uh, yeah, that's good. That's a lot. You've been busy. Uh, what about, yeah. um, uh, what about music? What do you listen to?
2: oh gosh um mostly i listen to whatever my son wants to listen to right uh <laughs> um, and
0: you don't try to influence that
2: um no i do i do i try i, I always try to uh enforce my taste wherever possible <laughs> <laughs> um but uh uh I, I i i mostly listen to classical i guess um and then the rest of it is all just an eclectic mishmash of of 80s and modern stuff um a little bit of symphonic metal here and there
0: And so last, uh, tell me about what games you play when you're not playing your prototype.
2: Oh gosh. Um, so, uh, group at work and I, so, uh, one of the good things about working out at a video game company is you have people who will play, uh, lots and lots of different things <laughs> all the time. Um, so a group and I just finished up pandemic legacy season two. Uh, we just finished that last night. Actually. That was great. Um, uh, Digitally, I'm working through some console backlog stuff. Working through the Uncharted series. Looking forward to the next Spider-Man game. Um, Telltale's Batman series uh, has has caught my interest. Uh, I've got some some Witcher three uh, downloadable content that I got to finish off um, on the on the table. Uh, uh, I've been getting back into World War II games. I just got a copy of Greater East Asia Co-Prosperity Sphere, which is uh, you know, possibly a, a Holy Grail Pacific game in terms of being a two- to three-hour game about the whole Pacific War.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Um, that's in translation from Japanese, uh, so that's interesting too. Uh, the, the Euro game I'm most obsessed with right now is Great Western Trail which is a really fun, uh, heavily disguised rondelle game. Uh, yeah, that one is, that one is one I'm, I'm looking forward to digging through more. Um, and then, uh, and then with my son and some of his friends, we're playing, uh, descent second edition, uh, the, the, the box campaign
0: Mm
2: -hmm. uh, on that, but I, I, I have a lot of descent content, so, um, I'll have them well supplied with descent through high school.
0: (laughs) Ananda thank you for taking the time and sharing your thoughts on Imperial struggle. I very much look forward to playing a package product at some point and playing it with getting to teach it to other people the, uh, and, and the final version.
2: Oh I, I really appreciate the time you and you and uh, Pat and Trevor and and uh, have have been able to to vote and um, to, to, to help him test it and I, and I appreciate you having me on to talk about it.
0: Right, you're very kind and, and once again, thanks for taking the time and and we'll uh, hopefully talk again soon.
2: I love that I see them government
1: Who is anybody running in world I see them government Who is anybody if you running if you running, running around in Port Axbarn out of your state when the military come trying to back to play when they drop Lieutenant William Bly,
3: the court has considered the charges against you and their finding is that no blame attaches to you for the loss of His Majesty's ship bounty. You are therefore most honorably acquitted. The court finds that mutiny and piracy have been committed against His Majesty's Navy. The court makes recommendation to the First Lord of the Admiralty, which recommendation should be entered in the record of these proceedings to wit, an expedition of pursuit be commissioned post haste and charged to capture and bring to justice the parties responsible for the loss of His Majesty's ship Bounty. They can hardly evade us for long. I shall pray they do not, my lord. The court considers it has obligation to add comment to its verdict. By the force of evidentiary conclusions, you, Captain William Bly, stand absolved of military misdeed. Yet, officers of stainless record and seamen voluntary, all were moved to mutiny against you. Your methods, so far as this court can discern, showed what we shall cautiously term an excess of zeal. We cannot condemn zeal. We cannot rebuke an officer who has administered discipline according to the articles of war. But the articles are fallible as any articles are bound to be. No code can cover all contingencies. We cannot put justice aboard our ships in books. Justice and decency are carried in the heart of the captain or they be not aboard. It is for this reason that the Admiralty has always sought to appoint its officers from the ranks of gentlemen. The court regrets to note that the appointment of Captain William Bly was in that respect a failure. The court is dissolved.
0: so that's a wrap for this podcast I will publish some notes and references on my website conflictsimulations.com thanks to Jay Bird and the San Diego bass band Subliminal Trip for the intro and outro music check them out on SoundCloud Do me the favor of sharing the podcast with a few friends. That'll help get the word out. Leave me a comment on BoardGameGeek with your thoughts and ideas. I'll close with a special thanks to Ananda Gupta. And that's it for me. As always, my methods show an excess of zeal, and I'll be back soon.